Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You've probably already gotten your first bug bite of the season, but itch is way more than skin deep. I thought that all it was telling us was how do we sense something outside of our body, but it's teaching us how we sense everything, not just outside of our body, not just the five senses, but a thousand senses. This week on Unexplainable, scientists have barely scratched the surface of itch. So how deep does it go? Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. It's on! Hi, everyone from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is the Super Bowl halftime show with 99% less Rihanna. Just kidding. It's 100% less sports. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naeem Araza, and it's actually 100% less Rihanna. <laughs> it's 99%. I have 1% Rihanna. But speaking of musical icons, Madonna showed up at the Grammys with a lot of plastic surgery and this kind of new face. Sexy baby face. The article you shared yesterday. The Washington Post piece. Yeah, there was one in the New York Times, too, that was also very good. That was Jennifer uh, Weiner. Weiner. Yeah, it was great. They were both great. I thought they were really smart ideas. Of sh- She's obviously doing it for a reason and that we have to stop judging what people do. The Times essay was saying that it was basically performance art by the queen of performance art. Yeah. You buy it? I could be. There's been 10 hundred Madonnas. She's changed herself and her image. You know, there's British Madonna. There was sexy Madonna. There was punk Madonna. You know, she's been a lot of Madonnas. So let yeah. it be whatever Madonna she feels like being. I don't, you know, I, I don't love it, but I didn't like all of them. I didn't like British Madonna either. So, And she gives no fucks. I mean, it, it might be that she's critiquing society by demonstrating the kind of surrealism of our beauty expectations. But I liked on Instagram that she was like, I haven't cared for 40 years what you all think, and I don't yeah. care what you all think yeah. now. Yeah. So yeah. thank you I very much. I think that's pretty much on brand for her. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but today, in lieu of Rihanna, and lieu of Madonna. Lou <laughs> of, <Rihanna. laughs> of Rihanna. Madonna. Yeah, all the Annas. Uh, but we do have a great guest today, Representative Ruben Gallego, the Arizona Democrat who is bidding for Kirsten Cinema's seat. But before we get to him, Kara, the people have asked for your reaction to the latest Elon news. Which one? Which, which <laughs> Elon news? Exactly. The hearings on the Hill, it was nonsense, total nonsense, and the Republicans looked idiotic. Uh, I thought the executives did a great job, and they were just pushing back on the nonsense. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's a waste of taxpayer money. I wish they would stop. Especially because of, you know, a lot of this focused on this idea that Twitter had blocked an unsubstantiated New York Post article about Hunter Biden, which they had they blocked. Did. And Jack Dorsey, who was CEO at the time, said, you know, are bad. Yeah, yeah. They also came out with this conspiracy theory. Marjorie Taylor Greene was grandstanding on the conspiracy theory that Yoel Roth is. They're just con- liars. And, you know, get you know, people sort of made a mistake with Hunter Biden. But, you know, Jim Jordan made a couple of mistakes way back in the day when he was a wrestling coach, didn't he? Uh, So we should discuss that at length and investigate that. Allegedly, allegedly uh, made mistakes when he was an assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State. Uh, You know, everybody makes mistakes, Jim Jordan. 
I hope he's listening, by the way. Mm, his staff certainly does, but go ahead. They do, actually. Um, but why do you think Republicans do this? Is there a chance that they think, okay, we are creating content out of complete disinformation to create more disinformation? Is that the idea here? I don't know what they're trying to do here. I don't. I think it's not going to stick with independent voters. It's not going to... Everyone's over this. Everyone's over this. And the only one in danger was Yoel Roth, who had to sell his house. Yeah, who was really targeted. And I thought that was poignant in the hearings. You should all listen to our interview with him. It was great. One thing, Democrats also came onto the hearing. Mm -hmm. They asked questions about January 6th and, you know, discovered that Twitter was actually making the rules more flexible. Yes, yeah. Do you think that was a smart decision yes. by Democrats? Because they were coming onto their playing field saying, okay, let's actually pull out more as a backlash. I thought that was smart. There's no conspiracy anywhere. That's the issue. It's just like, look, these are these companies and they're worried about Trump attacking them. That's all. That's all. And he pressured them because he didn't want to be called a pussy ass bitch by Christy, Christy Teigen. Teigen. <laughs> Whatever. I don't, you know, it's just ridiculous. I was literally like, there's my taxpayer dollars at work. Why don't you get to something really important? Like, I don't know, electrification of vehicles across the country. Whatever. Yeah. I don't really care what they work on, but this is ridiculous. And, um, and it's just, it's part of the, you know, the Elonis fear, I guess, this ridiculous, talk about a mind virus. That's what these people have. Yeah. But let's talk about someone whose future is a little bit brighter than Elon's, Representative Ruben Gallego. He's the progressive Democrat serving in Congress. But we wanted to talk to him now because he's running for this critical Senate seat in 2024. Kirsten Sinema is everybody's favorite senator. Sinema recently left the Democratic Party and declared herself independent. So Gallego won't face Sinema in the primary, but there's a good chance he'll be running against both Sinema and a very MAGA candidate like Carrie Lake in the general. Exactly. So he was very confident in the interview, which we taped a couple days ago and are going to play in a second. But the math is challenging in a state that's basically 35% Republican, 34% independent, and 31% Democrat. This is a, a, a microcosm of purple state, all kinds of MAGA stuff, progressive Democrats. It's really interesting. And it's a critical seat because the Senate is really exposed for the Democrats in the yeah. cycle. It's challenging for every one of them who's running. That's the thing. And and how someone puts it together. Um, it, you know, if they get Kerry Lakes, that's a good person for him to run against. So I don't know. I think he has a pretty good chance. And as Tara Palmieri put it in Puck, which is one of my favorite lines, cinema is rat-fucking the Democrats and Gallego is just fucking the Democrats. But, you know, he's got <laughs> a good chance. I don't know if he is fucking the Democrats. I don't either. I think he's a very good candidate for that seat. And, you know, it's it's going to be a real toss-up. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Carrie Lake has tried to brand Gallego as the AOC of Arizona. And meanwhile, some progressives have said that Gallego is not progressive enough mm -hmm. because he pushed back on this term Latinx. Is that really the reason? <laughs> I mean, he's a member of the Progressive Democratic I Caucus, know. but this is similar to what we heard, you know, to how Brooke Jenkins was describing, right? Yeah. People want to want her to be, she's too left for some, too right for others, and people think because of how she looks, she should be a certain way. Yeah, I mean, well, I know. You know, we talk I about know this. this. You know this as a woman of color. I mean, you, you and I disagree, you know, you're more, I would say, more conservative than I am, I would say. I would say, I don't know if I'm more conservative. I do, I, what I don't like is people try to pin on you what you should expect, and I experience this where people try to interpret your culture for you and tell you what you should or should not yeah. do. Like, yeah. And it happens on, by conservatives. It happens by progressives. People will tell you what you should think or people can assume what you think because of how you look. And that is not. Or they I, assume I, other things. I mean, it's interesting. And being a gay person, it's like, you're for this. I'm like, no, I'm not. But I want to say one thing, by the way. What? I don't know that I am more conservative than you. Yeah, you are. You I really, think I can. I mean, I, well, maybe. Like, jail the homeless. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, are, you are. I am not like that. <laughs> you, yeah, you are. You are, Blanche. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would say jail though, unless I said. No, I'm kidding. I'm teasing. It's scary. I said that there can't just be free reign on the streets Well, in there New York. isn't. Of course not. For a while in the pandemic, there was. Honestly, if it was a fight between you and most people in the street, I would feel sorry for the other person. <laughs> I'm not even slightly worried about you on the street. So I'm worried about the people you encounter more so. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with Ruben Gallego. I am not saying those things about homeless people. Support for this show comes from NetSuite. People say perfect is the enemy of good, but simple is everyone's best friend. Because when something is simple and easy, it tends to work out for the best. And NetSuite wants to provide products and services tailor-made for your business. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash on, netsuite.com slash on, netsuite.com slash on. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Welcome, Congressman Gallego. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to talk to you. And I'm going to start off with the 2024 Senate race. I have to because you just announced this. Um, so explain to me why you were motivated to go after Kristen Cinema when you sat out the other races. For example, you considered running against Mark Kelly in 2020 after John McCain's death left an open seat. How much is replacing cinema motivator for you, or what was the calculation? Well, it's not so much replacing cinema. It's actually having a senator that's fighting for the the people that need the representation. Uh, you know, the people that you know, like me, growing up that didn't come from uh, you know advantageous positions. I grew up in a family of four. My mom was a secretary. You know, uh, I slept on a floor. I worked uh, after school jobs, everything I could to make the American dream. And and I actually was a big supporter of Kirsten. And when she, I think, finally proved who she was last year, even prior to changing her 
her status to independent. Uh, I was thinking considering running against her because I just felt that at this point, Arizona uh, just didn't have the representation that they deserved and that they voted for. And the reason I didn't run against Mark Kelly back in, in 2018 is, number one, because I would have lost, <laughs> just to be honest. He was a great candidate. Oh, that. Uh, and I did not want to spend two whole years being negative against somebody who I mostly align with and, and actually have you know basically the same viewpoint. Right. So what was the changing point? You said you were aligned with her at some point. What occurred from your perspective? Was the links to the venture capitalists? What? Yeah, it was it was it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, I, I think the first one that really uh, I would say put me over the top was when she uh, rejected the John Lewis Wooden Rights Act uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, post January six. Uh, you know, there was a serious threat, uh, I think, to our democracy. You know, we had the insurrectionists in the House, but then you also had the corporate uh, legal insurrectionists, the lawyers that were going from district to district, state to state, and trying to change laws to make make, make it more difficult for people to to vote. And the fact that she didn't recognize that uh, was was a problem. And the fact that, you know, for someone she purported to be a good friend of hers and her mentor, John Lewis, who she voted for numerous times as speaker, as soon as it was politically no longer viable, she, you know, cast them to the side. But then, look, you know, she negotiated for pharmaceutical companies uh, in regards to uh, bringing down the cost of uh, uh, prescription drugs for Medicare recipients. Uh, that was a big thing. You know, you have people in Arizona that are driving to Mexico to get cheap uh, drug prices. You know, mm-hmm. the pharmaceutical lobbyists have a lot of lobbyists on Capitol Hill. They don't need one paid for with taxpayer dollars in a senator. Uh, and I think lastly, um, what probably uh, was a huge motivator too was the fact that she was negotiating tax cuts for hedge fund managers and private equity managers, something that we don't really have in Arizona. Uh, and so, you know, this is a hard job, uh, no matter what you do. But the reason I've always thought that, you know, cinema was doing this type of work, you know, serving the, the public, is because we kind of have the same values, but clearly she decides to use her time working more for the powerful than for the people that really need true representation. So right now, obviously, she's detested by much of the party. Is there something that she's done that you have liked in that time period? Well, certainly there was a lot of opportunities that, that we, we actually worked together. Um, I, I think that uh, her time in the House was actually a very good example of you know working uh, across the aisle. A lot of her accomplishments uh, you know, are good and laudable, but we have to remember a lot of them were actually watered down for what they could have been, right? A good example is we talk about, you know, the, the gun control legislation. The gun control legislation that we passed is a watered down bill of an originally watered down bill, but because we are adhering to the rules of the filibuster, we can't really get strong bills. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, great bill, but that was also a watered down bill because she decided to negotiate for pharmaceuticals. Our bipartisan infrastructure bill, great bill, but again, she was the one who negotiated down the number, and we could have actually had some very transformative infrastructure uh, pass in this country that would have probably set us on, you know, in the right direction for for a lot of great things in the future. So, um, so it was you know, compromise—a history of compromises. What you're talking about? Well, the history of compromise, not compromise is not the complicity, problem. I think actually, it's, complicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're compromising against your, when you're the person that's actually causing it, when you have the votes, it's not. You know, the question is like, who are you actually doing this for? And um, and, th- and that's the last problem is that she doesn't really communicate to her constituents. 
we don't know who what, what is her motivation because she doesn't talk about it. She doesn't talk about who she's voting for or why she's voting for it. She does not have one unscripted moment uh, where you know constituents could actually talk to her. So all of that combination uh, is what I think causes a lot of the the angst that comes. Which motivated and, you to do this? Yeah, which, and also, which, by the way, it's not just Democrats. Like we we see polling where she is underwater with independents just as much as Democrats, and you know I think that's going to be a, a, a very difficult situation for her. If she runs, if she stays in this race, she's going to lose no matter what. But even if I had not run, she was going to lose to a Republican because her numbers were that bad. Mm-hmm. That you've been seeing. These are numbers you've been seeing, but. One thing Mike Staff is saying, her popularity with independents is up 13 points, which is more than the decline in her popularity with Democrats, actually. She's yeah, sort of, we have, we, there's been other public polling that, that says otherwise. Okay. So when you announced your run, Carrie Lake uh, has tried to brand you the AOC of Arizona. I don't think you look <laughs> much like AOC, but okay. You tweeted, which was, you're a very good tweeter, by the way. Uh, we Thank call you. Carrie Lake the Carrie Lake of Arizona. And yes, that is an insult, which is funny. But let's address her point beyond glib tweets. Talk about her and her phenomena, because she's obviously has a constituency and is popular and is a very compelling candidate for sure. Uh, no, you know, no, absolutely not. At. She's, she's right, not okay. a compelling candidate. <laughs> no, I think that's a very, uh, for those that live in Arizona, I've worked in politics in Arizona. Uh, she's a retread of a lot of kind of right-wing populist uh, candidates that used to be able to win elections. She's not going to win this election. Carrie Lake is a very, very weak candidate. Uh, she won't go, uh, you know, and and talk to the press openly. She's going to be very sequestered in her little right wing bubble. Uh, she lost uh, precincts that you know ha- had been traditionally Republican precincts uh, and lost it to uh, you know our, our candidate who ran a good race, uh, but also refused to debate her. Uh, so, you know, I I think there is just this mythology of Carrie Lake being a uh, a strong candidate. It's just not true. Uh, she has excitement. But it does not actually translate into electoral success. So, what do you what do you make of her uh, calling you the AOC of Arizona? I want to understand you. Well, because number one, she knows that I'm going to you know thoroughly destroy her in an election, so she needs to start early branding me. But she also knows that my story is a very much a strong uh, American story, the story of you know the son of immigrants being able to live the American dream, serve his country. Uh, you know, all these things that really cross, uh, I think, a lot of barriers. You know, we are going to be able to talk to a lot of independents about this American dream. We're going to be able to bring back Latino voters that have not been voting or have started to vote Republicans because we're actually going to be able to talk to them, both in terms of culturally, but also talk to them in their language, something that they have not seen uh, in, I think, probably decades in Arizona. And so I am a real threat to people like Carrie Lake because they need to have both, uh, you know, the, the kind of cultural rage uh, voters that they love to to gin up, but there's a lot of disaffected working class voters that 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 they depend on, and they know that I'm going to be able to pull that. Now, why why AOC is that uh, that as much of an insult in Arizona? I don't, e- I don't I, even know. I actually know. don't know. Um, I think you know a lot of these uh, candidates, uh, you know, get into the little bubble and they think that that's something that uh, translate. I don't think many people in Arizona actually know who AOC is. Uh, and so I think she's just throwing things out there. Uh, I think she thinks that she can just punch her way into a victory. Uh, at the end of the day, it's just not going to work. Arizona's not that type of state. It wasn't that that type of state in 2022, where we picked up almost every statewide seat, and certainly won't be in 2024. I do think everyone knows who AOC is, but okay. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, uh, some progressives said you aren't progressive enough. 
even though you're a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Part of the critique is because in 2021, you banned uh, the use of the word Latinx in your office. Explain that controversy, because people have a problem with complexity. Um, so, <laughs> well, we, didn't, please... we didn't ban it. What we said is that if you are going to use it in the office, it has to be requested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Look, this is a this is a phenomena among Latinos, and there is some uh, deep uh, animosity to the word Latinx being used in our community and being kind of imposed uh, upon us. It's not that we're anti-trans uh, or we're not definitely anti-LGBTQ, uh, but we, you know, a lot of us, and that's that's not saying all of us uh, don't like that word. Now, what we do in our office is we, we basically allow the persons that we are communicating with to identify themselves. So if, if we are meeting with a group and they say, hey, we identify as Latinx, then we will absolutely respect that and call them that. But the reason we actually brought, I brought this up is because, to be honest, there was just this conversation happening around political circles, especially among Latino political circles, about you know what happened in 2020 and why the numbers had kind of gone against us. And you know a lot of uh, consultants were using this term Latinx while they were trying to communicate to voters. Uh, and that was a political mistake, but nobody wanted to bring up it was a political mistake. As the chairman of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus PAC, uh, a very successful PAC, we actually had uh, a very strong, a lot of strong wins last year, the most ever. Uh, we, it is my job to basically help guide the Democratic Party about how to speak to Latinos. And this is one of those steps to do that. Yeah, you had said, let me read you the quote, when Latino politicians use the term, it is largely to appease uh, white, rich progressives who think it is a term we use, it is a vicious circle of confirmation bias. I would agree with you. I don't think anyone likes to impose words on people. But at the same time, and I also have this other rule, the other rule is don't be an asshole rule. Uh-huh. Okay, if good. Somebody, if somebody asks you to respect them and say, this is, sure. you know, this is what I want, this is what I want to be identified as, yeah. then you should absolutely do that. And I think I think you have like people that are trying to use this as a cut and dry rule. So I discussed this idea though with San Francisco DA Brooke Jenkins um, of trying to wedge her into a box or wedge voters around issues. You've talked about your experience on the Latinx conversation uh, as a quote, exploitation wedge. Explain what you mean by that, because I think she was also talking about this. Well, I think um, when I say it's an exploitation wedge, is that like, look, we're having a, a real conversation among the Latino community, but then there's outside people that are trying to basically use that conversation as a wedge between us and our LGBTQ friends, or us and and more you know moderate people, uh, and and when in fact like it's something that should not be abused, right? And and like it's okay for us to have dialogue and conversations, uh, you know. I think it's important that we do that. But like, let's not also be used as a tool by people to to separate us from from uh, you know communities that normally are always aligned and voting together. And I think that that does uh, happen. It it, it happens uh, a lot. And I you know it doesn't just happen to us. You'll see that happen in the African American community. You see it happen you know within the gay community. And and uh, you know I try to make sure that look I have my opinions, but I also try to make sure that we're not used as a wedge between us and our allies as a whole. Let's define the race, too, because you said Cinema, the first Democrat in decades to win an Arizona Senate seat, mm-hmm. thinks it's a red state. You're doubling down on the idea that it's blue. Talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, I think the state is is bluer. It's not blue, right? We're, we're not Colorado. Uh, you know, Colorado is, a, is a, a blue state. We're more like a, a Nevada, right? You have to fight for it. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, the Democratic policies, my policies, my messaging is going to be a winning message. I think the 
uh, in the cinema worldview that this is still the Arizona of 2012, where we, you know, she barely won her first race. But the state has been changing. Even in her race in 2018, you know, she credits a lot of her win with, you know, having crossover Republican support. And that's that's true. There is there was some of that. But she always forgets to mention the surge of Latino voters that came out for the first time uh, in, in 2018 that did not vote in 2016 and voted straight down the ticket. These are young Latinos that were out to basically stop Donald Trump. Uh, and they're not, you know, the crossover Republicans. A lot of them are very, very progressive, very liberal. Uh, and certainly, I think this time around, are not going to be supporting uh, Senator Sinema. So Democrats have had a lot of success in Arizona. Sinema, Mark Kelly twice, Biden. What do you think is really to credit for the success? Some magic formula for the Democrats or the fact that MAGA candidates have pushed the state Republicans too far right? Yeah, it's a combination of both, actually. Yeah, I mean, we have better quality candidates and have for a while. But really since 2010, and this is when I, I, I you know, kind of got more involved politically and ran for a state house, we've been very active in registering and turning out Latinos to vote. That's your game changer right there. Because if you're a Democrat, you can the 60, 70% of that vote. And it's going to only keep increasing over time. Now, I certainly am going to make sure it, it definitely increases in 2024. Mm-hmm. But the MAGA candidates pushing the, the Republican Party again, the recounts, sure. the Carrie Lake of it all. The recounts, when, it's the, 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 what, the extreme you... in general. The, the, and it, it wasn't just the recounts in 2020, um, you know, how, how Trump acted post-2016. Oh, yeah, Jan Brewer, you've had, a lot of, you've had a lot. It's just extremism in general. 2016 was a big wake-up call to Latinos in Arizona. 2018, we, we, we came in, out and voted and, and helped, you know, not just pick up Center Cinema, but you also picked up the uh, Secretary of State's race. We picked up a lot of other r- big races that year. Uh, and I, I don't see them having the candidates to really change the narrative in 2024. As you said, Latinos were key to Sinema's win in 2018. They're also key to Biden's winning the state in 2020 and statewide victories last year. But across the nation, Democrats did lose Latino votes 2020, 2021, 2022. What can the National Party learn from Arizona? Why is it bucking the national trend? Well, because we actually work every year and on year and off year uh, to work and communicate with uh, Latinos, uh, whether it's, you know, city council elections, smaller elections, we're actively, you know, always doing voter registration, turnout, education. Uh, and, and that is what has really, you know, stopped the slide uh, in Arizona that has not happened in other parts uh, of the country. You know, it also we have a lot of Latino elected officials in Arizona. And they're very persuasive. They're very close to the community. Uh, they're bilingual, and they're able to communicate our values to the Latino community. And that's why you have them really stick out. If you notice, some of the states where we've lost uh, some people, there aren't many. A lot of times, they don't have many Latino electeds that are actually kind of holding up the banner. So we don't know for sure that Cinema will run again, by the way. But if she does, will it be uh, her independent brand be an advantage in a state that's only 30 percent Democrat, that's about 35 percent Republican and 34 percent independent? Over 40 percent of Republicans and independents approve of Cinema in a recent approval writing. So what, from your perspective, what happens um, in that situation where you have so many different competing groups? Well, look, we're going to run a campaign. And I think once we expose uh, the fact that she's not independent, she's independent in name, but she's not independent from pharmaceutical lobbyists. She's not independent from Wall Street hedge fund uh, lobbyists. Last last uh, you know reporting period, 40% of her money came from private equity or hedge fund managers. Uh, I mean, that that's not going to sell in Arizona. 
And I think she's going to have to stick to a very small group of, uh, you know, democratically independents and a lot of Republicans and hope that she could put, uh, combine that into a uh, election victory. But she can't. There's no polling that shows her anywhere near second place. Uh, she's always in third place. I'm going to go into fundraising in a moment, but you suggested, as you said, in a three-way race where Cinema runs as an independent, she's likely to peel away votes from Republican candidates, which would mm-hmm. be your hope, and not split the Democratic vote. Yep. What makes you so sure of that? Look, I think, you know, just being an Arizonan, uh, seeing how wacky the Republicans are, I think there are, some of them will look for an alternative. And I think that's who uh, Kirsten uh, is. Uh, we we have our own polling that shows that she is going to be pulling away from uh, Republicans more. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, I think we're going to be able to bring in new voters. But there is no poll anywhere that has done pub- been done publicly or maybe in privately that has her outside of, you know, 14 to 15% in the state, and it's only going to go down uh, from there. And lastly, she doesn't even have the grassroots support. Last cycle or last reporting period, she raised $8,000 from small dollar donors. You can't run a race uh, from only big donors. Mark Kelly's race costs $80 million. There's only so many big donors out there. She will not be able to run a race, an effective race to actually move her out of third place. To what extent will the Republican nominee shape the three-way race, who it is? Game it out if Blake Masters is a Republican nominee versus a Carrie Lake. Um, I, look, I think, so Carrie Lake is the is the queen MAGA, uh, MAGA queen, right? So Blake doesn't run uh, if Carrie runs. They're, they're all afraid of her, uh, and they know that she would dominate in a uh, primary. Uh, Carrie cannot help herself. She is going to fight the culture wars. She'll get personal. She'll get mean. uh, And that's fine. Like, you know, I'll punch back when I have to punch back. But at the end of the day, voters want solutions. They're going to want to talk about policy solutions. And when she doesn't offer them, uh, because it's she just, number one, doesn't want to, number two, I don't think she knows how to, uh, she's going to lose a lot of votes. Now, uh, those votes may first travel to uh, cinema. uh, And then once the Republican primary is over, I think they're going to have to duke it out to, to figure out who, get, who gets those votes back. Uh, and again, this is if Senator Sinema stays in this race. I, I'm not entirely sure she does. And we're going to run the campaign like she is. But we're also you know, going to be realistic that she may not be able to make it all the way to the election, especially considering how poor her fundraising is. We'll be back in a minute. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you've made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Support for this show comes from Ramp. 
Are you overwhelmed with managing your business expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? Is your finance software just not cutting it? Or maybe you're just looking to cut all that wasteful spending. Ramp could be a total game changer for you and your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Plus, Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Not only that, but Ramp can save you money. They estimated that businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Kara, ramp.com slash Kara, R-A-M-P dot com slash Kara. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. So one of the things you just mentioned, fundraising, Arizona's Senate race was the third most expensive Senate race last year. Cinema raised more than $22 million for 2018. You said, and she has rich friends. Uh, you said Mark Kelly's race was eighty million. It was more like eighty-nine million for his 89, race. Eighty-nine. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Blake Masters <laughs> had Peter Thiel money, and we know that's endless, uh, yeah. especially since he's selling off his crypto while he's touting it. Uh, that's before you add outside spending. How expensive will your race be? Any targets you can share? Well, I mean, look, we're we're gonna definitely be aiming at a minimum for the Mark Kelly uh, mark there at eighty-nine million. It's probably going to be more expensive than that because, again, it's going to be the presidential election also. Uh, and so we're going to, you know, the, the prices are going to go up. But there's going to be a lot more excitement about Arizona. Uh, we're already seeing that online. We have, you know, probably getting closer now to 60,000 individual donations. You know, we raised more than uh, online, I think now more than $1.5 million and, and So growing. you said a million bucks in 24 hours after you announced from yeah, small we, money donors. Yep. yep. And then we, you know, continuing the, you know, the trajectory there. So we're going to have the the, the campaign funds to actually uh, win. But the other thing is, and this is something that you, you can't factor, I've been working in Arizona to really get out the vote for many years, uh, whether it was sharing, you know, voter registration organizations, turnout organizations, being the vice chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. There's a lot of on the ground groups that have been key to the success of Arizona that are going to be backing me and making sure that we, again, turn out the vote. Uh, and do it to make sure that we get, you know, President Biden reelected, and of course, us holding the the Senate seat for Democrats. Do you see small money money donors being uh, the path here? When Cinema has yes. the Wall Street money, for example. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it's for it goes for both sides. There's only so many big donors out there, and once they give you the max, that you can't go back and get uh, any more. And we see it from Kirsten Cinema's reports. She has no ability to raise small dollar donations. Yeah, she has seven point nine million from she's banked that. Um, yeah, but you outraised her in the days when after she announced leaving the Democratic Party. Exactly, and and more importantly, to the key to that is if you look at where she got her money, only eight thousand dollars came from you know donations of less than two hundred dollars, uh, and that you just can't win these statewide competitive races in that way. It's just not. It's a, mathematically, it's not possible. But do you need to keep up with tapping some corporate interests? Do you commit to not taking money from Wall Street bankers and big pharma and big we're, corporations? We're right now that what we're doing is we're entirely focusing on your traditional democratic donors and small donors is largely what we're fueling. Uh, we will take it case by case about who we're going to take money from. Uh, you know, if you are someone who works on Wall Street but actually believe in uh, just taxes, making sure that the rich pay their their fair share, then that, that's fine. 
uh, if you're asking for a quid pro quo return, that's definitely not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So Warren Buffett money is fine, but maybe not someone else. I mean, again, as long as you understand where my values are, you know, we're going to tax the people that uh, have been avoiding taxes. We're going to close the loopholes that have been helping the hedge fund managers. We're going to make sure that pharma, uh, you know, has to compete uh, to bring down the cost of Medicare. And if you work for one of those companies uh, and you want to donate, but you understand what you're getting in return, as long as everyone's very transparent, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. And so uh, how important is the support from the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee and other established groups? I know there's always controversies around that, who gets what, including in the Republican Party. Yeah, no, I think right now it's not very important. You know, the, the race is early. Most important thing is that we're going to have the support of the Arizona Democratic Party. Uh, and that's the organization that you have to have in order for you to actually be able to run uh, a full statewide campaign and and also, you know, run field programs or anything else like that. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, that's the thing that we're going to worry about. We're obviously going to talk to our friends uh, at the DSCC. We understand that they're in a, you know, it's a, it's a hard situation. And I'm a team player. I'm a, I don't want to put them in a hard situation. Uh, but we'll continue to communicate to them what we're doing and how we could work together. And, and hopefully we'll be able to come around to some kind of agreement later. Okay. I want to do a lightning round of issues facing Arizona. Immigration. Last month, President Biden announced a crackdown on people seeking asylum after illegally crossing the border from Mexico. You've expressed concern about that. How should Democrats be addressing the immigration issue? Well, I think the most important thing we have to do is make sure we're being realistic about it. Like, Don't deny that there's a problem, right? There is a problem. People don't like seeing uh, you know, the chaos at the border. And look, I've, I've been to the border. I've visited a lot of the small towns that are dealing with, with this influx. Uh, and, and most of these towns want to be helpful, but they also want to be helped themselves. It's costing them money, you know, to their public services dealing with this influx of, of migrants. So we need to figure out a way to make this less chaotic, to relieve the, the burden that's happening for these small towns at the border, make it also more predictable for the asylum seekers to actually ask for asylum uh, and get you know a quick answer. Overall, we need to actually fix it so people can actually apply in their home country for uh, asylum instead of trying to to get to the border. That's step one. That's just dealing with asylum seekers, right? The, but the border is very complex. We have a lot of other issues we got to deal with. We got to deal with the the, the drug uh, issue when it comes to um, fentanyl being brought over the border. But you know, most fentanyl crosses the border at a customs checkpoint. And it's largely Americans that are bringing the fentanyl over the border. So you got to check every car that comes through and everyone that comes through, and that's how you, ca- you catch more of it. Then you deal with the 8 to 10 million uh, undocumented people that have been here for you know now a generation and trying to figure out how to get them square with the law. In the State of the Union, Biden said that if Congress won't pass immigration reform, at least equip and staff the border adequately. Is that the right priority? I think it's a, it's a priority. I just don't think you're going to ever have true border security without immigration reform. Uh, but it's better than not doing it because, you know, right now, some of our customs officers are so overloaded that they're not able to check uh, people uh, crossing the border because they're dealing also with asylum seekers, right? So, you know, we need to, you know, help them out, give them the technology, give them the manpower, all that kind of stuff to basically make sure that they can facilitate and do their jobs at the same time. Okay, so let's go to water. All the states that draw water from the Colorado River Basin couldn't reach an agreement on how to cut usage. Uh, They seem to never can. Now the federal government is likely to decide, what can Arizona do better to protect scarce water resources? Well, so if you're talking about water from the Colorado River Basin, We've actually done a lot more than California. We you know, went through what's called the drop contingency plan. We made farmers stop farming in certain areas. Meanwhile, 
the California Imperial Valley farmers have done nothing. And yeah, California is the holdout state on that yes, agreement. Exactly. And they have done nothing versus everyone else on the Colorado River has actually stepped up and cut their uh, allotments to try to you know mitigate the, the situation, making sure there's water that stays uh, behind the dam. So that's just that water. There's a lot of other types of water in Arizona. For other parts of it, we need to have water management areas. We cannot be building these huge developments in areas with you know no no water or no water for at least for the next that we can uh, you know plan for for the next hundred years. You also can't just have farmers you know tapping uh, aquifers and not have any uh, management about how much they can use because it's basically going to dry out the aquifers, dry out the wells, and it's going to kill these small rural communities. And that's something that has to be done at the at the state level. Uh, but it is uh, a problem. And then lastly, at the federal level, we need more tech. We need to create, figure out how to create and bring in more water to Arizona. All right. So speaking of technology, semiconductor plants. Uh, in December, you joined President Biden on a visit to the TSMC semiconductor mm-hmm. factory in Phoenix. TSMC now plans to build a second factory there. Intel is expanding its semiconductor factory in the state. Obviously, a lot of companies want to move some manufacturing back from China, although it's going to be a very long haul. I think people are not underestimating the problem here, the supply chain problem. Uh, it will take years to build, if not decades. It, is the investment having an impact on a state or is or is it just a press visit kind of thing? Uh, no, I mean, talking to, um, you know, organizations like the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, which is like the kind of pro-business growth uh, organization in Arizona, we know that um, besides those big announcements, uh, that there are close to 100 different uh, suppliers that are moving to Arizona in order to fulfill requests from Intel and TSMC. So there's definitely, uh, you know, I hate using this word, but there's definitely a trickle-down effect that's happening where there's a lot of high-tech, high-waste jobs that are, that are moving to Arizona, including construction jobs, by the way, which um, people forget that it's very personally profitable for these uh, construction uh, crews to actually be working and building these very complicated uh, fabs. So you feel that this is a positive thing and more of it kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's a positive thing. Uh, I think it's also important for our national security. Most of our, our chips actually come from you know places like Taiwan and Singapore, uh, and, you know, in a situation where like COVID, where we get cut off, you know, we don't have control over our future. And number two, we do have enough water. Most of these fabs that use water actually recycle the water that they're using. So they end up using very little water. Uh, and, and so we can have them do what they have to do without it actually, you know, becoming a burden on the water system. So I want to end this on what's going on in Congress right now, where you serve. Last summer, when asked whether you'd thought about having the House led by Kevin McCarthy, you said no in some regard, because it's hard for me to imagine someone that dumb being Speaker of the House. What yeah. did you really think, uh, uh, Representative? Uh, well, now <laughs> I, it's I, I here. I was holding back, to be honest. I know. Okay. Oh, all right. Keep going. <laughs> Do you see uh, an opportunity to uh, to work with Republican colleagues? Or are you in full opposition mode? And please uh, keep going, really. Well, no, you should always be looking out for ways to accomplish what you need for, for your state and your constituents. And and if that means working across the aisle, then you work across the aisle for the end goal. And, you know, I already do. Like, I passed lots of legislation that's been bipartisan, both on the Armed Services Committee, on the Natural Resources Committee, on my VA committee. Um, and so I have no problem continuing doing that. I think the problem that you have is that on the bigger issues, you're not going to see the Republicans being able to compromise. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, McCarthy has 
basically neutered his office as a Speaker of the House to the point where he's not going to have enough power to actually bring him, bring his members of Congress in line mm-hmm. uh, to, to, you know, strike these big deals. And I really worry about the debt limit. That's something that I think he's not going to be able to handle. So is he dumb or ineffectual? Um, I think right now he's uh, dumb and ineffectual. Uh, if, he should never have given up that that type of power uh, to uh, some of the more radical elements of your caucus, because at the end of the day, you're going to cause the rest of your caucus uh, probably their elections. But what's the danger for Democrats in that looking, just relying on them to be crazy? I mean, uh, you know, I, the, the, it was so interesting, yeah. the Sarah Huckabee Sanders response. There's a difference between crazy and normal. And I'm like, shh. Don't yeah, say I know. That. That's, I think that's our campaign slogan, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah. Look, I know. Uh, you know, I think uh, the danger of, of accepting that everyone understands that they're crazy uh, is that not everyone follows politics all the time. Most Americans don't think about politics every day. So we need to really be reaching out to them and explaining to them the compare and contrast. And this is why you should vote for Democrats, because Democrats have a better uh, understanding of your needs, and we're going to be here to fight for you and for your future. Is it a benefit for Democrats to have this going on? Well, certainly it's a benefit. There's no denying that. But again, you can't rely on it. You can't rely on it. Okay. You can't be just against something. Exactly. Okay. So it's last question. It's widely expected Biden will announce his re-election campaign soon, but we just did a panel. They were like, we don't know. We're not sure. Should Biden run for a second term? Yes, he should run for a second term. He's had a very successful legislative, uh, barely three years. And uh, someone like that should be rewarded for their work and he should be trusted for what he's done. And I'm certainly going to back up 110%. Mm-hmm. It's a little over two years, but yes. Um, is there another more progressive candidate you'd like to see run if he doesn't? You know, at this point, I'm only going to be focusing on him. I know he can win. I know that he's done a lot of the great work that I care about. And I think, uh, you know, for the stuff I truly care about, such as bringing back the child tax credit, you know, making sure we have an opportunity for, for you know, everybody in this country, he's the person that I'm going to put my uh, bet on. And who do you think he's going to run against? I think at the end of the day, Donald Trump runs no matter what. Uh, no matter you what. know, he's a con man. He knows that there's still more money to be, you know, grifted out of uh, his followers and he's going to do it mm-hmm. until they're, they're broke or or he goes to jail. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. So who do you want to run against in Arizona? Uh, I don't have to run against anybody. I could beat anybody who runs against me. I know how to win this <laughs> race. Nice swerve. I, yeah. I want a name. Thank you. I know I how to hit the curveball. <laughs> I know. I see that. But I want a name. Who would you, if you had to pick your kid? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, look, I, if I want, if I had to pick, I want to take down the the, the Queen Maga. And, Queen uh, Maga. I could, and I would uh, be able to finally prove that Arizona is a state that moves on. And uh, Cary Lake is not something that uh, sells well in Arizona. All right. All right. We'll see what happens. I'm excited about that. I'm glad you dubbed her Queen Maga, by the way. You're the one who just gave <laughs> her that you. title. Anyway. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, uh, Representative Gallego, and good luck. Appreciate it. I love that he'd like to run against the Queen Maga. Queen Maga sounds like sort of the evil queen of Snow White or something. I'm picturing her with the sash and the parade, kind of doing the elbow, elbow. No, no, no. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. She's more like the Snow White or Cinderella queen. Oh. The evil queen. Evil queen. Yeah. Mirror, mirror on the wall. That's right. It's also funny, earlier we asked him the question, we often ask people about, you know, trying to get someone to say something nice about their opponent or something that reflects on something productive or constructive their opponent had done. And it's so funny how they are incapable. Politicians cannot Why say would that. you? Why would you? Why would you say they're good at that? She, he did. He said at the beginning, we really did a lot of good stuff. And then she changed when she got to the money yeah. people. He said, so, and the good stuff she did wasn't as good as it could have been. So that was the important yes, job. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. As it turns out, wasn't, you know, would you do that with anyone you've ever had a relationship with? So what struck me from that interview is that it's, it's some similar theme to Jenkins. This is the idea that um, kind of being told 
by a progressive, you know, he talked about kind of progressive elite whites who are not from the minorities telling minorities. Or living in that area, yeah. Yeah, or, or just like not from the context, telling people who are minorities how to navigate that context. Very familiar. And I think that's a really important issue in this culture war. Because I, I would agree. I would agree. I find that uh, the Latinx thing was really interesting. I remember when it started, and I only heard it from white people. And and someone's like, oh, that's what Latinos like. I go, do they? Like, I, I, I mean, I'll be respectful of whatever people want to be called. I don't care what people want to be called. But yeah, and I was like, it seems weird. But it's sort of like they used to do that with gay people, that what they really like, Kara. And I'm like, mm, oh, what no. did they really like? I don't remember. It was like, <laughs> I forget. I was, I, I was like, I don't think we're a group, first of all. And I don't agree with like those conservative gay men over there. And I don't agree with the separatist uh, lesbians over there. Like it was, it was the inability to understand that all of these groups are complex is very difficult for progressive white people. Yeah, of course, everybody's an individual. And yet, yet you just said we aren't a group, but in some cases you are a group. Like you want that block to be able to vote together on issues that matter. And these, what he was describing, this exploitation wedge is like, you know, kind of coming in and trying to chip away, chip, chip, chip. Yeah. They want to identity politics, everyone into their own little silos. So they never join. Cause you know, I, I really don't like when there's when there's a conservative person of color, how people attack them, I'm like, let them have their opinion. Yeah, you can like, be a conservative person of color. It's okay. I, I literally, I get so like, they they become, they, they get demonized. And some of them really are I mean, Candace terrible. Owens we're a little worried about. But. Yeah, but it, it, I'm like, oh, what does it have to do? She's, that's just her, like yeah. kind of thing. So, although sometimes I, I get the in, implication when I, you know, Peter Thiel, and we had a big argument many years ago about, gay issues. And he was wrong as far as I, what was but we the didn't argument? agree. He thought there should, gay shouldn't have special rights. It's in a video that the law, Wall Street Journal lost, of course, but oh, it the exists. Flip cam video? Yeah, the flip cam. I've uh, seen that, yeah. We talked about uh, special rights versus equal rights. And I said, it's equal rights. He said, it's special rights. But I was like, why do they have rights? We don't have, it was, it, you know, it was just a, uh, you know, I had children and he didn't. So it was a very different, we came from very different points of view. People want to chip away and there are like, there are differences within any segment of the population. And yet like the wedges are not helpful, whether they come from conservatives or progressives, it is not helpful yeah. to the I have cause. some poor, poor relatives in West Virginia and mm-hmm. they want to set them against poor people in the city. And I'm like, you have so much more in common than the, with the poor people in the city than you do the rich people who are trying to make you angry at each other. But isn't that part of like the myth of the American dream? Because something shocking to me when we had uh, Jesse Eisinger on from ProPublica talking about the tax reporting was the backlash from the kind of Twitterati, the bros on Twitter against this coverage of Elon and others kind of paying minimal taxes. Actually, I think Elon was amongst the better of the bunch. But ordinary citizens are like, thinking they're more likely to be Jeff Bezos than themselves. They are, and that's way. aspirational in the U.S. That's a U.S. thing, and aspir- we can all be that someday, if only we worked hard enough. And that's not, it's a little true, but it's not really true. I mean, it is true in anecdotes, but it is not true on the aggregate level. I also, the whole idea of, you know, we're helping you against the man. And again, I'm like, you're the man. You're t- The man is telling you they're against the man. Well, Just, yeah, and they're sowing distrust in government. Sure, and that works for them. And they that, want you to be unhappy and, and disgruntled. And, you know, I think politicians like Representative Gallego were really interesting, and I think complexity is really an important thing. And that's the thing that he and AOC actually do have in common, is that they are kind of proof positive of an American dream. hmm 100%. And yet he is not. 
the AFC <laughs> of Arizona. Yeah, he's not. But he's Carrie not. Lake is the Carrie Lake of Arizona yeah, and the Carrie Lake of America. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she picked the wrong uh, congressman to fight with. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It'll be an interesting campaign. All right, MAGA queen, why don't you read us out? <laughs> Today's show was produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Christian Castro-Rosell, and Rafaela Seward. Special thanks to Andrea Lopez-Cruzado. This episode was mixed by Aaliyah Jackson, and our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you get to be MAGA queen. If not, you get to be MAGA queen. Go wherever you listen to the podcast, search for On with Kara Swisher, and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. We'll be back on Thursday with more. You know what they say about MAGA queens? No. There can only be one. (laughs) Okay, she can have it.